I'll tell you I blossom in the spring. I know that. There's no question. Some people are winter people. Some people are spring and summer people. And then there are the fall people. And then there are the no people who just don't make it at any time of the year. And it just goes downhill from the time they popped into this world. <laughs> you know, oh, yes, uh, I've, I've decided to make a, a running, uh, a running uh, feature here. And, uh, of course, this is part of WOR's vast, all-seeing, altruistic public service programming, which uh, we do because we're such great people and we very seriously involved in the world and we want things to work better. Uh, I have a, a little note here from Hamilton, Ontario. Here, before we go any further, speaking of spring people, what was that? Thank you, dear. Speaking of spring people, Hamilton, Ontario, bearded Percy Leggett, Hamilton's oldest beatnik, has a problem. He has been told unless he conforms in his dress, he will have to resign from the old people's club he has been attending for the last four years. And at 72, Percy feels he is too old to begin to conform now. <laughs> Winter and summer, Percy walks around wearing billowing khaki shorts, a yellow undershirt, and big black rubbery boots. <laughs> now there is a there is a piece of mankind that is unquestionably colorful. <laughs> I like that final touch, big black rubber boots. He rises daily at five AM, swims, lifts weights, and keeps his body in forty year condition. Percy said, I go to the center every day. I play the piano, sing and dance. And I have never had any complaints. But on Tuesday, when he arrived at the club, he was told to put on his pants. Percy has no pants. He has just the shorts he has worn for the past eight years. Quote, when I get my pension, when I got my pension, I resigned from the human race. I began to live the way I wanted. I let the air get at me. I let the air massage me. No socks. My body breathes. My body is breathing. I am not going to conform. He is now going to the mayor with his grievance. He wants to see what that is. <laughs> I think tonight we'll salute Percy Leggett of Hamilton, Ontario. Percy, don't you know that there will never be a time in your life when they will let you live the way you want? Because you know, most people, I'm afraid most people have never once, never once in their life, lived exactly the way they want to live. Never once. It's very hard to know where that demarcation point comes in, you know, that point where, where you create the rules by which you live, and then the rules by which you live are created. And you know that many a guy believes that the rules he lives by, he created? They really do. You know, it's a funny thing about the rationalization that goes on in our mind, that we begin to believe after a certain length of time that we want a lawn that has to be mowed every five minutes. You know, you really do. You believe that. And actually, what you what you really want is to look like everybody else. You know, you, that, that if, if somehow somebody came to you and says, "Charlie, wouldn't it be great if you if you covered that little piece of ground out in front of your house there with red, white, and blue marbles, and they just had red, white, and blue marbles, and you had a big plaster stork sticking out in the middle." <laughs> 
You know, it's a, yeah, you know, that, that's somehow it, in, in a way. And yet, many of the rules that we live by that, that, that crush us or bedevil us or dog us all of our lives are rules which we believe we really like. We really like rules. Uh, I'm sure that, that more than one guy, let's, let's, here's this old duffer, he decides to wear shorts, winter and summer. Well, now, I don't know whether you've ever worn shorts recently. They do feel good. You put a pair of shorts on, you run around, and somehow there is a great sense of freedom. There really is. The wind blowing on your kneecaps. <laughs> and, and, and yet, uh, you, it, it's so easy to convince yourself that the, that the crazy rule that came about, you know, many centuries ago, usually through some kind of uh, function, there was a reason for many of these rules. It came about through, you know, the, the history of lawns is an interesting one. Just happened to pick on that one by random. But the history of lawns is a very interesting uh, history. Why people think their house looks better because it has a lawn in front of it. Or a lawn, you know, not every society does. In fact, uh, a lot of societies think a little lawn out in front is a real nutty thing to have. Uh, they do. They really, really do. And, and yet, uh, more than one person spends his life getting mad at the crabgrass. He fights the, the dandelions all his life and the hookworms and whatever it is that you get out there. And then finally he dies an exhausted man run over by his power lawnmower. And uh, he, will, he will say, nothing my life better than a good-looking lawn out there in front. Uh, well, you know, speaking of uh, of that, I mean, this is since we're, since we're going to deal with the world of reality here, and the world of the of the uh, of the the elements that we fight. I'm sitting uh, the other day. I'm I'm sitting in the bus, and I've got my times out, you know. And it was a great headline, which uh, just hit me right in the old eyeball. Nightcrawler case finally decided. I read again. Nightcrawler case finally decided. Isn't that a great headline? It's as though the Times knows that everybody's been hanging on tenter hooks because of the great Nightcrawler case. It's finally decided. Well, uh, I, I read to you the piece here. A federal grand jury has ended the case of the missing 900,000 Nightcrawlers, which involved dealers in Hamilton, Ontario, Hamilton again, and White Pigeon, Michigan. It all started in 1959 when Mike Radnojic, who handles millions of worms at his Ontario Wholesale Worm and Bait Company, contracted to sell Thomas Fisher of Fisher's Bait and Sports Shop at White Pigeon five million night crawlers per month. Boy, five million of them. Anyway, he is now he is now nine hundred thousand short, and Mr. Fisher says he doesn't want him now. And <laughs> so there's a big hassle. Who's going to pay? <laughs> well, let me tell you. You know, I looked at that thing. And I looked out at the spring day out there with the sun coming down, and I remember my days as a great night crawler hunter. Now, uh, I, I, uh, I presume that most people, most kids who live in, in city world don't know that one of the great ways, and I, I noticed that most of the kids today earn extra money by uh, babysitting and all that kind of jazz, you know, babysitting, uh, various things of that type. I mean, these are city things. Uh, but yet, you've got to understand, I lived in the city, too. I did not live. Uh, everybody's beginning to get the idea that I live somewhere where you have cheeks of tan and all that jazz. Well, the only tan you got was from standing too close to the blast furnace. And you got a real strong tan then <laughs> from that. But uh, it, it was it was sort of a, you know, vacant lotsville, really. We had swamps all out in the back of the house and everything. So it's hard to describe it in, in terms of, of New Jersey and New York. But it was at one at one point you could just walk 
five minutes away from the pool room and you were in the wilderness. There were hoot owls. There were everything there. Uh, you turn around and walk back and you were in Indiana Harbor and there was nothing but steel workers and, and hard liquor for miles around. So it was that kind of in-between world. Well, one of the ways that, that I quickly caught on to, me and about three other kids, I must have been about 10 or 11 or something of that type, was to go into the worm business. One of the ways to keep yourself afloat, keep yourself solvent, was to, was to fight for worms. Well, at first I started out by digging for my own worms. Uh, now, now you, there's a lot of places to dig for worms. I could tell you all about worm digging. The, the best worm uh, country is loamy soil that's sort of half sand, half black dirt and all that. has a few roots and stuff. And, boy, the worms go ape over that kind of ground. They, they, I mean, the worms are everywhere. Now, there's two kinds, that you, three, really, that we dig for. We dig for worms, just plain worms. Then you go for the night crawlers, which are like big Big worms. These are these are worms that are at least... Have you ever seen them, Ed? Sure. These are like five times the size of regular worms. Then we would go for what are known as grubs, white grubs with the big blue head, you know, the strange little grubs, uh, which I never cared particularly to fish for because they squash. Uh, yeah, that's a very bad scene. And we used to once in a while go out for things called blood worms. Well, now, now we would start out uh, the, the way we would we'd start worming, and th- this is this is the uh, this is the, the maddening thing about the worm world. If you're ever going into the worm business, of course, the thing to do is to grow your own worms, which uh, which is what I tried two years after that. I learned how in the basement, you know, with the big flat uh, wooden boxes. And uh, all right, I'll I'll give you a brass figure with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me what you feed worms. You're looking at the guy that can tell you you've come to the right place. I can keep your worms going for years if you want to. And I'm not going to tell you, you see, because I, I'm the guy, when the, when the atom bomb goes off, I will be able to live off the soil. I really will. I'll be able to grub down there. I know what to do with the worms. I know how to make fish hooks when you've got no pins around. I know how to do that. Oh, yeah, I can tell which way is north. All I've got to do, I just point me out to the nearest fire plug, and I'll tell you which way is north, just by looking at that fire plug. Yes, sir. You ought to see me sometimes jumping out of my car, crawling along the curb on 6th Avenue, trying to find out which way is north by looking at the fire plugs. You know, right down close where the do- Well, that's... <laughs> well... <laughs> Hey, George. But uh, that's another... So I'll never forget the time I read this story about this guy that turned into a dog, and he had the most embarrassing time. He could not get used to fire plugs. And, uh, <laughs> oh, gee, it's funny. But then there was another story I read. It was by the same author. He was always writing these stories about guys turning into animals but continuing to be people. Uh, he wrote the story about the horse. This guy turned into a horse one day, and uh, he was very embarrassed. He got off of the Long Island Railroad. And he was walking along down the street, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he's, he's a horse. A terrible thing happened. All of his clothes fell off and everything, and he's, he's, he's clopping along the street there. And he meets two people. He meets this wild, great chick and her mother that he knew on the street. And the next thing you know, he's, he's, he's unbelievably conscious of the fact he has got no pants on. And he, <laughs> he's talking to them. <laughs> he had an embarrassing scene when he tried to go to church on Sunday, too as a horse. And he, he quietly sat in back and sang the hymns, and he figured if he just sang the alto part, they wouldn't say anything, because the alto part... <laughs> and they didn't. That's the interesting thing about it. They did not. He says it became very obvious very within a short time that, that, the, that the pastor could not tell him from the rest of the congregation if he faced a certain way. 
well, uh, uh, we, uh, you know, there's a lot of things. So, so I'm, I'm a kid, you know, and I, I decided to go into the worm business. Me and Flick and Bruner went into the worm business. Now, how we went into the worm business was this way. Uh, my father one day with about 45 other guys came home and they were going to go fishing. And they, they said, hey, why don't you go down to the hardware store and get some worms? They sold worms at the hardware store. So he gave me the dough, and I was to go down and get five dozen night crawlers, two dozen regular worms, a half a dozen of blood suckers, <laughs> leeches. Oh, yeah, they, they buy all kinds of things. And seven dead frogs. And so down, down the street I go, and I get halfway down there, and I thought to myself, well, why don't you go dig up some worms in Flick's vacant lot, which was the vacant lot next to Flick's house. Because every time you'd come out there, you know, there'd be weeds and grass in the morning with the, when the sun is there. The worms would be just crawling all over. There are millions of worms on the ground. So why don't I just take home a half a dozen of these things and I made myself a buck. Well, I get Flick and we get a spade and we start to work. Well, we worked frantically for about three hours and we dug and dug not a worm. Not a single worm, and we knew there were worms all over this place every day. We're squishing worms, playing football out there, you know, we're sliding in the frogs. Not a worm. Well, Flick says, I guess maybe it's because the worms don't come out at this time of day. It was about three in the afternoon. And it hit us. Yeah, we've got to get out at the right time of day. So down to the hardware store I go. I buy the worms. I bring them back and begin to plot on how to figure out the worm business. I talked to the guy down at the hardware store and says, do you ever buy worms? He says, yeah, I buy worms. And he's selling the worms at 35 cents the dozen. You got it? These are for big night crawlers. These are big ones. He is also selling the little worms for 25 cents for like 100. You know, you've got a whole can of those for two bits. He says, I will give you 10 cents for every 100 little worms you get, and I will give you 15 cents for the night crawlers. Well... So Flick and I are in the nightcrawler worm business. And it was great because it was early springtime, like this time of the year, you know, June, just a oh, beautiful time. And the worms are, you, 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 we, we, were, we were beating them off. I'm telling you, every morning I would get up and Flick would get up. We'd get up about 5 o'clock in the morning and we'd rush down to where the grass was. We're just picking them up, you know, throwing them in a can. Whoopee, whoopee, dime, here's another quarter. Hey, here's another buck. We got the money, you see. We'd make about two bucks a day and that's a lot of worms, you know, when you're getting only 10 cents a hundred, you know, that's a, that's a mess of worms. Well, we're running around, and then one day we get out there, and there's just not quite so many. We did a lot more running around than usual. The day after that, more running. And then we had to start digging. Well, I want to tell you what happens with the worm, in case you don't know anything about worms. As the summer progresses, worms go deeper. They get very, very scarce. Uh, and, and the scarcer they get, the more you've got to dig, the more rocks you've got to pull out of the ground, and the more you learn about nature. Speaking of rocks, this is, George, speaking of worms, this is WORMNFM New York, and we'll be here for a while. Oh, by the way, we've got a couple of commercials here. Let's see, Japanese Airlines, they still have their haiku contest going. And, uh, and believe me, uh, there have been more than one great classical haiku written on the earthworm. Uh, in fact, I could ad-lib a few of them myself. Yeah, oh yeah, the, the earthworm uh, truly is, is one of the great unsung heroes of our time. You know, many people claim that, that the humanity would not be possible were it not for the earthworm, uh, which uh, interesting problem there. And, uh, but we have with us here tonight <laughs> Japan Airlines. And let's see, let's, uh, here's a haiku. The dawn of the day on the tip of the barley leaf, the frost of spring. Thirty-five 
17 syllables, excuse me, 30, 35, well, that's another time. 17 syllables, three lines, is a classical Japanese haiku and must deal with nature or the season of the year. And this is the, this is the time when, when the, when the uh, adolescent girl is definitely in the bloom. When the pimply-faced 16-year-old kid feels the urge to write outright Busan and Isa, you might as well make some kale with it. Uh, send your bad haikus to Japan Airlines Haiku Contest. That's H-A-I-K-U-U, Haiku Contest, Box, no, W-O-R, New York 18. And they have to be in by the 15th of June. You got it? And they're going to give a micro-TV set. Isn't that ironical that for a haiku uh, extolling the beauties of nature, you get a television set for top price? But it's one of those micro, uh, micro ones. You can go out and contemplate nature and not miss the Mets at the same time. So <laughs> uh, this is it. Now, let's see. We have another one there? I can't tell. Hello, hello. It's, it's folded down. Uh, I can't read it. There we go. There. Oh, oh, pottery of all nations. Speaking of haiku, uh, we have the pottery of all nations and... Uh, it's very hard for me to describe what they are. Uh, they're down on Sheridan Square in the village, and uh, it's one of the most uh, fascinating landmarks in the village. And if you're looking for pottery or dinnerware or glassware or anything that uh, is in that line, that fantastic French uh, cooking, you know, that orange, beautiful enamel cookware with the walnut handles, all of this stuff is on sale down there at incredible prices. And it's a great place to just scrounge around in. Uh, fool around for an hour or two while you're killing time. It's the Pottery of All Nations down on Sheridan Square. They're open until 10 on Saturday nights. They have one on Route 4 in Paramus, and there's one on Lexington and 64th here in Manhattan. And I don't know, I've gotten about 50 letters from people asking me whether or not they still have those fantastic Okinawan handmade stone mugs left. I don't know. All I can say is uh, if, you can, if you get down there and you can buy some of those Okinawan mugs, they're great, fantastic, truly uh, primitive. Speaking of the primitive, uh, getting back. Oh, yeah, 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 one more, uh, too. Uh, uh, one more, again, this is from, uh, from the letter problems. Now, we don't have the movie, do we? No, no, okay. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm getting letters again about this. Uh, I have a story. There is a short story of mine in the current or June issue of Playboy. Uh, I, I can't answer all the letters about it, but to those of you who, uh, who uh, might be interested in knowing about it, it is in the current issue of Playboy, June, a short story. And uh, I might point out, uh, unnecessarily probably, I am exceedingly and, uh, and overpoweringly proud of it. It's the current issue. All right. Uh, which proves my uh, this this piece proves my uh, my qualifications as a uh, as a backyard's fisherman. You know uh, this thing about the worms uh, <laughs> is is an interesting problem because because what happened was my old man then he started to buy worms from me. I shouldn't tell you what happened. It was one of the great defeats of my life as a kid. Uh, he started to buy worms from me, and in fact, three or four guys in the neighborhood began to buy worms from me and Flick and, and Bruner. Whenever, whenever they were fishing, they would come to us and buy worms. This is the way we earned, for the first part of a summer, our, our spending dough. And we became, you know, it's funny what happens when a kid becomes, or anybody, when a person becomes uh, necessary. You know what I mean by necessary? When you're providing or fulfilling a function, 
people would come and buy worms. Guys we didn't even know about. For example, uh, uh, Mr. Heine Gertz would tell somebody in his neighborhood that these kids sold worms cheaper than uh, Clippinger's uh, hardware store. You could go down there and get worms for these kids. They're better worms. They're fresher worms. They're very fresh kids, but the worms are better. And they're 10 cents cheaper. So we were sort of a cut rate. We were like a Corvette among worm people. And, uh, and, and we began to have a pretty snotty attitude. I can remember on, on, on Saturday nights, once in a while, a guy would come to the back door. And my, I would be out in the front somewhere fooling around with my radio. And my mother would say, hey, Gene, there's a, a worm man is here. Hey. And I would come around the back. I'd say, what do you want? And he'd say, uh, well, gee, uh, I'd, like, uh, I'd like two dozen night crawlers. I'd say, night crawlers? Well, you, you realize what time of the year it is? I'm getting to be a very expert, you know. I'm, I'm putting him down. I said, you know what time of the year? You have come August and you want night crawlers. And he'd say, well, gee, uh, I'd say, well, I can spare you a few. And I would go down to the basement and next to the, <laughs> next to the, uh, the furnace, I would have my night crawler emporia which was a big flat wooden box over which was placed a screen and in and under it was the nightcrawler food which I had carefully prepared and I can tell you how to do it and the nightcrawlers were big and pink big beautiful pink really healthy ones I mean the kind of nightcrawler that would fight you back I mean you got a nightcrawler that bites and fights you and wraps himself around your wrists and tries to tries to pull you in the water with him you know that kind of a nightcrawler so, so I'd, get, I'd, I'd give him a half a dozen of these and I'd bring them back up and I'd say I can only spare you a half dozen and there would be these big great big looks these big tears of, of gratitude would come to his eyes well gee gee I, I'm so pleased thank you very much and, and he would pay me and then he would say here here's a little something extra I'd say no I do not need any tips and <laughs> he would go scurrying down the street with his night crawlers well there was a great sense of fulfilling a function and then the trouble began to build up I can only tell you that when you are dealing with nature now a lot of you people of course have never been farmers uh, you do not know. You only think in terms of going to D'Agostino and getting the kohlrabi frozen. Uh, well, there is a guy somewhere out there in the wilderness, Ed, who is fighting elements that you don't know anything about. I'll, I'll tell you, like, for one thing, he is fighting the locusts. I mean, he is fighting the wind. He is fighting the... the when, you, when you want rain, it's, it's a weird thing. When you want rain and it comes, it always comes too much. Like the rain would come, eight million pounds of rain would come down in five minutes and drown all the worms. For a week, we'd be getting nothing but dead worms. Drown. And then it would be dry. It would go dry and there would be not a drop of water for, for six weeks straight. And every worm was on his way to China, digging straight down, and you got nowhere. He's digging down for the moist soil. He can't stay in that that hard baked soil. So he's digging down, down. We'd be digging and digging. I'd be up to my ears and I would have three worms. I w I've dug six feet deep holes, four feet wide. I'd have three worms. I was making like, oh, maybe two millicents an hour. You know, that kind of back-breaking toil. So it began to develop as, as, as the summer got on. Our customers we, were, we, were becoming more and more. They were coming like mad. We did not know at first why. It was because these were ex-worm diggers. These were guys that would go out and dig worms themselves. And as the worms got scarcer, they were coming around and pounding on our back door. Well, we happened to have a particular vacant lot where there were a lot of worms at first. We did great. Until one day, we practically were skunked. 
I remember digging. Boy, I'll tell you, you don't know how it is to dig from about 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon and have about 16 worms, little skinny white ones. And you wonder what the devil happened. What is it? And you start you start getting very mad at nature then. And Flick is saying, what, what are you going to do? It hasn't rained. It hasn't rained. Since the first, what is, look at the dirt. And you got nothing but dust and we're digging. You're getting very mad at nature. And then you go home and my mother says, there have been four men here since 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then they're all looking for worms. This is dough. This is my dough, you know, going on. Every one of those guys meant a buck or a dollar and a half. And I says, well, I've only got six or seven worms. My, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she'd say, well, you know, I don't know. They're coming back. They're coming back after supper. And then, sure enough, I try to get out to play baseball. You know, I want to be gone when they come. You know, but no, some big lunk would show up with his kids, and they all, hey, uh, hey, Gene, how about some worms? Where? Are I? And they got their poles, they got their bags, they got their 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 creels and everything else. No worms. I'd say, well, uh, I got no worms. Listen, I'll give you some dough balls. No dough balls. We want worms. Well, I could always make dough balls. <laughs> so the worm thing got to be a wild thing. And then one day. I will not, I, I, I'm going to keeping this secret to myself now. One day I ran across an article in Popular Mechanics on worm culture. And this article told how not only could you grow worms and have a fantastic crop of worms in your basement, you didn't have to go out and dig them. Furthermore, they were better worms and you could have them at any time of the year. And then there was also uh, attached an addenda on the greatest known way to catch nightcrawlers. If there are any nightcrawlers around, how to catch a nightcrawler. Uh, and and we, hadn't even, we hadn't even heard about this, you know. This was a new thing. And so the next morning, Flick and I tried it out. And by George, it was the jackpot. We hit seven pounds of nightcrawlers, Ed, in about 15 minutes in hot, dry weather. Now, do you know how to... Oh, and then, I'm going to tell you another terrible thing. Did you... Uh, all right, I'll give you a few of the hints and kinks. That, that one of the things you get is a Ford coil. Get yourself a Ford spark coil. You know what is it, a spark coil, Ed? Well, well, any of you who don't know, go down to a junkyard anywhere and ask for a spark coil. You get a spark coil. Now, now, take this spark coil, clean it all up, and to the input of the spark coil... You get yourself about five big fat dry cell batteries. You connect to the input, connect them in series, so you get a good solid voltage jolt there. And on the output of that coil, you take two copper rods that are pointed, two copper rods that are pointed, and you 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 go to say a place. So, oh, let's say we are going to look for worms, and you stick these rods into the ground about maybe 15 or 20 feet apart after you have soaked the ground. You wet the ground. A couple of pails of water, you wet the ground, see? You stick these things down like that. And then you go, you let that baby go. Now, you these rods have to be, you pound them in, these rods have to be about six or seven feet long. We got long copper rods that we had, yeah, we got long pieces of copper tubing. About six or seven feet long, you pound them into the ground, and then you give them that spark coil. You go, let me tell you, if you ever heard a worm scream, Within 30 seconds, there are 8 million worms with a hot foot. They are yelling and hollering and jumping out of the ground all over. And, and what you do is you get about four other kids to work the ground with butterfly nets. If you've ever seen flying worms, they fly. They come flying out right out of the ground. You just, you just harvest them that way, you know. <laughs> so, so Flick and I and Schwartz, we're out there with our electrodes, and the worms are yelling and hollering, and we are belting them. 
Well, then, you know, it was fantastic. So we give the ground a couple of more shots, and out comes a possum. We give another shot and a half, and out comes a turtle. You know, no telling what's going to come out of there, you know. <laughs> the, the, the underground trolls, the next thing, you know. So we kept shooting this ground. So finally, Schwartz says, let's go and move over now. We've, we've, we've already worked this ground. Sure enough, we must have had about 8,000 worms, just like that. So we move over about 75 feet. We pour water on the ground, pour water in two places. We pound the big electrodes down, and we let this thing go. We, and boy, I'll tell you, the stickers stand straight up in the air. You never saw anything like an African violet suddenly getting mad, getting angry, and looking out at you with a great, worms are flying out. Let me tell you, we hit, we hit the jackpot. There were about 19 black snakes came out, Ed. Gigantic, big, fat black snakes, you know, the big babies. They're jumping out. Everything is flying out of the ground. <laughs> What a sense of power you have over nature. Well, well, Schwartz and I and Flick were going around, and Bruno, you know, we're just loading the stuff in, and, and, and Schwartz grabs a big black snake, and says, I wonder if we can sell a black snake, and a big black snake for fishing for big pike. We're grabbing the stuff. Well, we, after about 20 minutes, we have more worms. We must have had 19 pounds of worms. Well, now, this was such a great article. It was the only article I've ever gotten out of any one of these magazines that works, really literally works. And so we, we took all our worms home, and, and we went out and got ourselves a bunch of orange crates and built worm houses, real solid worm houses. And in this, in this article, it told how to feed the worms. And, how to, and, of course, I later worked on all kinds of variations on how to feed worms. Oh, they love it. You, if you've ever heard the mooing of a contented night crawler at 3 o'clock in the morning when he's eating your worm food, well, you know somehow that you're dealing with nature. You know, you've done something real for the world out there, for the real things. And, and so I had these worms out there, millions of them. I had, I, had, I had the blue boxes, which I painted blue on the outside, were my nightcrawler boxes. I had the green boxes for the regular worms. And I had the white boxes for the blood worms and all the special worms, like grubs and that stuff. I had them all lined up down the basement, all lined up. Now, of course, you know, there was a funny thing. My mother had the attitude which is true of all, all, almost all women involved in a thing like this, they have the attitude of they kind of like the idea that you're doing this big operation, but at the same time, they're, they're scared of worms. They hate that idea of going down there and doing the washing down there with their Thor washers and fooling around the basement like women do, doing the stuff down the basement with 87 million uh, night crawlers. She hated the idea of a night crawler. Uh, oh, by the way, it might interest you to know, too, in case you don't know it, that they don't call them night crawlers here in the East very often. Uh, particularly up in the northeast here, they're called night walkers. Uh, somehow the east is a little more uh, sophisticated. The, the worms walk here. They don't crawl like they do in the Midwest. They're, they're called night crawlers. And, and, and so I had this whole thing, and the thing to do with a worm, now I should give you a little more tips on this. I suppose I'm boring the daylights out of you non-worm people. But the thing to do with a worm, worms, of course, being, being creatures of underground habits, they like cool places. Uh, so if you're going to keep a worm, you've got to keep them in a cool place. Has to be, don't ever moisten the ground too much. Uh, make, your, make your flat worm trays about six, maybe between four and six inches deep, thick like that. Get loam, sandy loam that has black dirt and sand mixed in, a nice, soft, fluffy, sandy loam mixed into that. Spread a few leaves. Get yourself some leaves and spread it out all on the top of this soil and just sort of pack it down nicely. The worms will immediately burrow in. And make your worm cases out of wood. They like wood. You don't use metal too often. You can, but they don't like it as well. They like the wood. 
So you 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 make it out of out of orange crates, and you allow on the bottom thin little slits, just thin slits for drainage, just like you would allow in a flower pot. You see. And you water these things once a day, just like you water uh, plants, but not as much. You just water. Just keep it a little moist, you see, and they like that. Now, there are various worm, <laughs> and keep it down in the basement where it's cool and dark. Now, there are various worm foods. Now, now uh, one thing that the worms like is to take a bunch of old uh, apple cores. Just take old apple cores and crush them. Crush the apple cores. Just crush them. Just take a whole bunch of apple cores or apple peelings and crush the apple cores in a, in a paint can or something. And then s sprinkle this uh, around on the top of the earth and just sort of smooth it in. Just smooth it in, you see. It provides that uh, somehow an old apple core makes a heart's worm, worm's heart sing. He, uh, and he doesn't necessarily eat the apple core. It just makes him happy. It gives it sweetens the earth and the soil, you know, and that's a now. There's another thing that a, that a worm particularly likes. In case you're interested in, in growing worms, I would like to tell you: Have you ever wondered what to do with old coffee grounds? Well, a worm goes ape over coffee grounds. They love old coffee grounds, and that is one of the primary worm foods. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just take coffee grounds and sprinkle them over the, the top of the soil, and you've got a happy worm. That worm, that believe me, that worm will grow fat and happy and pink. He'll grow better than any worm that you'll dig out of your garden. He will. Uh, and he likes it there. Remember that he is not yearning for the wide open spaces. No, the worms, worms are very different. They will settle for very small things. So, uh, so you just take this now. Once in a while, if if if, if your business is slow, of course I could go into this whole thing. I get you really interested in wormology? No, 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 no more, no more worm information. However, uh, there is one other uh, interesting to me, interesting little gambit that you pull on the worms. Now, many people are not aware of why night crawlers are called night crawlers. They literally do that. They crawl at night. They come up out of the soil and crawl on the top of the earth at night. You know, there have been many superstitions about them. Uh, in fact, there are all kinds of myths and things about night crawlers that, that have to do with, that, oh yeah, there's a, there's a necrophiliac thing involved. Uh, there's, oh yes, there's all kinds of myths, uh, particularly in Europe, about night crawlers and night walkers. Uh, stories about them. But they really do. They come out of the ground and they come atop the soil. Now, there are many reasons why they do this, but uh, suffice it to say, since you are a neophyte in wormology, they do it. That's all. Don't ask me why. I could, that's later on in the course. Now, the worm comes up, but he's got one trick. You might not, of course, you, if you think about a worm, you, you immediately see it. The worm, since he is blind, remember that, he is a blind creature. The worm is exceedingly, exceedingly sensitive to light. Uh, he doesn't see light, but he's sensitive to it, and it means danger, because the worm is an underground creature. Now, the minute a worm sees a light, boom, down he goes. And boy, you have never seen anything travel faster than a night crawler who has beaten it for his hole. Have you ever seen him do that, Ed? Boy, don't they move? They are, boy, they're almost impossible to catch. They go like a shot. And once he gets in that hole, forget it, you're not going to get him out. If you grab him and pull him, you'll break him in half and you'll never get him out of there. Yeah, so, so don't do that. Don't try that scene. Now, I'm going to give you a tip. Take a flashlight. You got it? Take a flashlight and get some dark red cellophane. Add dark red cellophane and, and with a rubber band, cover the lens of your flashlight with dark red cellophane. Now, make sure it's a pretty powerful light. 
so that it'll shine through that dark red cellophane. And then when you turn it on, you will get a red beam. They do not, are not sensitive to red. The worm does not vacillate, he does not vibrate to the red. He does not see it. So you can turn that red on him, and, and there's something, something that is filtered out of the light with red cellophane that is the thing, it is the element that makes that worm know there's danger. So he, you can see him. There he is. He's crawling around the ground. He doesn't know there's danger. You just reach down and pick him up. That's all there is to it. Take that red light, take that red off of the front, and then turn that light on, and you have worms that go out of the... They're gone. Forget it. They're gone. So, so this this is another trick that you can try if you're going out after worms. And if you now now if you live if you're a kid and you live out in the suburbs and you want to have some fun sometime, about eleven o'clock at night, after you know after the TV is uh, cooled off and after the Mets game is practically over and all that stuff, get out just go out in front of the house and take a flashlight and your lawn they're in your lawn I know that. Take a flashlight, put that red light over it, and sneak around and look and see what you see. You'll see stuff you never thought you'd see in your life. And, and oh yeah, there they are. They're, they're out there. Now, now uh, these, these worms are very valuable. You see, a nightcrawler is a valuable worm in many ways. He's, uh, he's valuable to the soil. He's valuable everywhere. And, and you develop a certain kind of a... Of a I, 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 it's hard to tell you this, but you do. You develop a certain kind of sympathy and affection for the worms that you have grown. You know that when, when guys used to come and take my worms after I have grown my nightcrawlers for about three months, you know, Ed, and they've gotten big, fat, and pink, and beautiful, they would come along there, and a slob would come along and buy, say, like, a, like 50 or 60 of my worms, and he looked like a slob, you know, like the kind of guy that would put them under the, the, the boat, uh, you know, just stick them under the, uh, the seat in the boat and let the sun beat on them. And I used, you know, I used to cry. They could not stay on my worms. And sometimes, I'm going to tell you the truth, sometimes when a particularly knuckle-headed meathead would come along, and, and he'd say, I want some worms. I want some born worms. I'd say, I'm all out. All out. Because I could not see my beautiful, lovely worms that I had grown all summer and I had nurtured through sickness and health laying under some guy's rowboat seat uh, when he's drinking swilling beer and the worms are all over. You know, I was not going to allow this. <laughs> so, so even among worm men, there is a sense of involvement in what they are doing. Now, uh, I, I presume this is a... I, I know that I'm undoubtedly bored eight million women with tonight's show. Oh yes, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the worm. The worm is is a creature that nobody talks about. I, I admit that the worm. You talk about minority groups. Oh boy. Ho ho ho. Let me tell you. They. Uh, you have you even used the name worm to denote a low nothing person? You worm. Well, I know of no thing and nothing in this world that is as peaceful as a worm. A garden worm. I don't know anything that's as clean as a garden worm. They're beautiful. I mean, they're really clean. Yeah, they really are. A garden worm, he, 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 he is content with very little. He is very industrious. He works hard. He does not know. They do not start wars. They don't fight each other even. A, 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 worm, a worm is one of, truly, one of the truly noble creatures in nature. And a worm has provided fantastic things for us. Do you know that they claim that if all garden worms disappeared tomorrow, mankind would starve by the end of the month? Now, why do you, why do you say that? Well, the, the garden worm, of course, keeps that soil moved around. He brings from down below, way down deep, he brings the soil minerals 
that we have not yet exhausted to the surface. Oh, yes, he's doing this all the time, nightly. He's out there in your backyard and you're walking around and calling other guys worms. You should be so good as a worm. Boy, I'll tell you, good worms. And, and so, you know, I, I got very involved with worms. And then one day, one day, I'm going to have to tell you what happened. One day, a terrible thing happened. I came home from school. It was a big rainstorm. Somebody had left one of the basement windows open. The water and the rain had come down on my worms, washed the soil, and the whole basement was covered with worms. Every last worm decamped, and he was out. Hanging from the rafters, they were under, they were clinging to the tires, they were up and down under the washing machine, and my mother was screaming, bloody murder, will you come down and do something about your worms? And, well, and furthermore, Mr. Ramis, Mr. Ramis says, you're going to have to cut that out because this is not a business place. Of course, she was being sentimental. She was also being emotional. That, that she, was t- <laughs> she was tying up our lease with my business that was going on down in the basement. And so there were five, maybe ten, maybe fifteen giant fights. And slowly but surely, I withdrew from the worm world. I retired and became a caddy. And I spent the next five years swimming underwater looking for used crow flights, which is another story. But at heart, I am still a worm man. At heart, sometime, someplace, I'm going to have myself a worm set, two pounds of used coffee grounds, some potato peelings and some apple cores, and by George, I'll produce the greatest night crawlers you'll ever see in your life.